Our conversation today is with someone I consider my podcast mentor, Kwame Christian. Kwame is the director of the American Negotiations Institute, where he conducts negotiations and conflict management workshops around the country. He is an attorney and mediator, and Kwame has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, a Master's of Public Policy, and a law degree from the Ohio State University. As a negotiator and conflict management professional, Kwame brings a unique multidisciplinary approach to making difficult conversation easier. In addition to his role with the American Negotiations Institute, Kwame also serves as a professor at the Ohio State University Moritz School of Law and with the Autobahn University's MBA program. Kwame is the author of Nobody Will Play With Me, How to Use Compassionate Curiosity to Find Confidence in Conflict. Uh, this is the best-selling book. Kwame is the host of Negotiate Anything, one of the top negotiations partners in the World. The show has been downloaded more than 600,000 times and has listeners in 181 different countries. His TEDx talk, Finding Confidence in Conflict, was the most popular TED talk on the topic of conflict in 2017. Uh, first of all, I want to say this. I think that your book does something very original, Kwame. So the fact that you provide psychological tools that can be used to strengthen negotiations, strategies, and tactics. I remember when I was... Uh, a negotiator at the World Bank. My biggest challenge at the beginning was not the fact that, you know, I was lacking strategies or tactics. It was anxiety to face uh, high-level negotiators and ministers representing the government. So, yes, yeah. I think uh, negotiators should have the psychological tools that you describe in the book handy because uh, developing confidence comes when you are willing to engage with conflict. So, this is a great book and I wanted to, to, to start by sharing that. Thank you, Henry. I appreciate it. And thank you yeah. for the kind words. I'm excited to be here. I am honored to be a guest on the Diaspora podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you again. So, uh, to start, can you please tell us how you ended up in Ohio? Yeah, that's a funny story. So, I'm a, I'm a first-generation Caribbean-American. Mm -hmm. So, my dad is from Dominica, and my mom is from Guyana. Right. Uh, so, they came to the States to, um, uh, to further their education. Um, dad became a surgeon, and my mother got her Ph.D. in nutrition, earned her Ph.D. in nutrition, and became a professor. And so, I was born in New Jersey. Uh, where dad was getting his residency, uh, finishing up his residency program. And then the first job that he got was in uh, a small town called Tiffin, Ohio. And so that's where where I grew up. Okay. So about how old were you when you moved to Tiffin, Ohio? I was three. So I don't even remember anything before Ohio. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Because I noticed that you had some difficulties making friends when you moved to Ohio. And I wanted to ask, is that because you left friends behind? Can you tell us about your, your experience growing up in Tiffin then? Yeah, it was interesting because um, my accent back then was a lot stronger than it is now. You know, because when I'm talking to my Caribbean and uh, African friends, it starts to come out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But now I can switch to my American accent. But when when I was younger... I didn't have that ability, and so I had a really strong accent. And at the time, there was not much diversity in Tiffin, and uh, so I was, we were the only black family. And um, we were not not just were we uh, were different racially, but also we had really strong accents too. So we stuck out significantly. Um, so when you're younger, it's it's hard to fit in at that point. Right. And so it really was tough at the beginning, but um, I learned to adapt and okay. I think that served me well now because now I don't have any problems, um, connecting with people of different backgrounds. And mm -hmm. I think that 
it was almost like a, it was like a study abroad <laughs> right. type of experience. And now I can connect with anybody. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, they say that when you're a kid, it's easier to be yourself. And then mm -hmm. uh, your accent, you could just be original with your accent. But you didn't realize that it was actually uh, a challenge. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it, I think it, it was when I went to school, when I went to college, that it started to slowly fade. Because every time I come home in Tiffin, I'm still with family. Right. So I'm, Carib I'm Caribbean at home, no matter how American I am at school. Okay. Um, but when I moved to Columbus, Ohio, and started to study um, living in the dorms, it was American at school, and then I lived at school too. Right. <laughs> American everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I remember the um, first Christmas break when I came back, uh, my mom looking at me just sad when she heard me talk. She's like, you sound, you sound like an, an African-American male. <laughs> That's what she said. Wow, and I that's like, funny. I didn't, I didn't even notice, you know, so uh -huh. that I had to do a better job of switching when I got home. Right, right. And, you know, they want you to remain original, to remain yourself and not to change, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wow. So in your book, you talk about how it was hard for you to make friends in primary school. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you explain situations where you had to, you know, spend the day without having to play with other kids. Can you tell us how that was and how that made you feel? Yeah. It, um. So I remember it vividly one time on the playground where... Um, I went outside trying uh, for, for recess to try to find people to play with. Mm -hmm. And so I went with uh, one group of uh, potential friends and said, hey, can I play with you? They said no. Uh, then I went to another group, same thing. Right. And then another group, same thing. And then and then eventually the bell rang, recess was over, and I didn't get to play with anybody. <laughs> and I went inside, and I was just devastated, just crying. And so then I, I realized, you know what? This does not feel good. Right, <laughs> this, I know. This, this social isolation does not feel good. So no matter what happens from here on, people are going to be my friend. So from that time on, I was really strategic about interacting with people in a way that made them feel comfortable with me. Because right. I know when you're the person who's different, you have to take the first step to make people feel comfortable with your presence. Yes. And so that's how it started, focusing on building rapport, making friends, and then it worked. And uh, I became uh, one of the most popular kids in school, which was great. But right. at the same time, I was afraid to do anything to jeopardize the relationships. So I became <laughs> a, a people pleaser. So it's like uh, with every with every good thing, there's a bad thing lurking in the shadows. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it's been an interesting uh, path developing uh, that those interpersonal skills right that's good because it kind of help you find your way into what you do today right exactly mm -hmm. as far as my ability to connect with people i don't think i would be where i am today without that background and then after high school you went to study psychology you wanted yep. to be a psychologist did that experience in primary school contribute in you wanting to be a psychologist or how, how did you come to that decision that I want to be a psychologist? I think it did subconsciously mm -hmm. because I was always at a young age very aware of the way that people perceived me um, because I needed to figure out a way to connect with them all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't natural for me. Um, so I was strategic in that regard. And so psychology is all about the study of human cognition and behavior, mm -hmm. um, those two things. So it was it, there was a natural interest. So I don't think there was an explicit connection, but I think that's what drew me to that study. Okay. And then from your bachelor in psychology to law school, 
you wanted to be a politician. Are you still interested in politics today? Or? Not at all. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, not at all. And so the reason I got in, I, I became interested in politics was because I wanted to help people. That was always the goal. Find some way to help people. And so I realized that as a psychologist, I could help one person at a time. Mm-hmm. But if I became a politician and I was able to influence policy, then I could help a lot more people. That just right. seemed more efficient to me. So that's the reason I started to, to pursue that route. Um, so I pursued the dual degree with a law degree and a master of public policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after learning more about the law and learning more about policy and more specifically learning more about politics and what it takes to get ahead in American politics. I realized those are sacrifices I did not want to make. Um, Sacrifices of your privacy, sacrifices of your autonomy, and um, sometimes your own dignity, in my opinion, because you have to change who you are um, and what you believe in in order to please the people who can put you in power. Right, right. That's so true. And then uh, while you were in school, I understand it was very busy. You were doing dual degree in grad school during your bachelor's degree. You were very busy with your school. Did you have any extra curricular activities? Within school, I did. Mm-hmm. So I was um, president of the Black Law Student Association. Um, I was um, the communications editor for the Journal on Criminal Law at Ohio State. And I competed in um, negotiation competitions. Right. So I was... I was pretty active. <laughs> right. Was so what brought you to negotiations after thinking about politics, thinking about psychology? Yeah. So negotiations was interesting because the only reason I took the course was because it fit in my schedule. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> I said, well, I guess this, this works. I'll take this class, whatever. And so when I took the class, I fell in love because it was the first time that I really saw um, applied psychology in what I was doing Mm -hmm. so clearly when it came to interpersonal communication. So I was hooked. And so then I decided to do the negotiation competitions. So Ohio State had a competition. And so I teamed up with uh, one of my friends and we ended up winning that competition, which allowed us to represent the school at the regional competition in Ottawa, Ontario. Right. And we won that competition as well. And then we made it to the semifinals of the national competition with the American Bar Association in oh, wow. um, New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And how did that go? Oh, man, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I That's when I that's when the passion really started to bloom, uh, because it made me realize that this was a skill, not a talent. And so. So I was able to connect and build rapport and and things of that nature. But my weakness was difficult conversation when there's resistance. um, How do I get my needs met through this conversation and push through people who might have opposing agendas? Um, That was really tough for me. And when I recognized that it was a skill and there was a process that you could use to move through this, I, I was really fascinated. And for me, I like being able, like I said, to help people. And so I thought to myself, I don't just want to do this for myself because it's there's a lot of um, satisfaction that I get every time when I negotiate and manage conflict because I'm overcoming my fears and I'm, I'm doing it well. But I also want to teach people because I know there are people out there who deal with the same kind of struggles. Um, and that's what really led to the podcast and the, the business now and the TED Talk and the book, uh, because I want to empower people to have these conversations. Right. You are really busy. How do you find time to do all those stuff? 
<laughs> well, you know, the, I think the best thing for time management for me is um, the time based on the time that I spent practicing at uh, big firms during the summer right. uh, between law school because they showed you how important time management was. That's when I, I completely changed the way that I look at time um, because they bill their clients on uh, in six-minute six increments. Mm -hmm. And so when you're billing a client, if you're going to the bathroom, you're not billing a client. If you're talking to a colleague, you're not billing the client. And so you don't bill for those times. And right. so it showed me what pure work looked like. So now on my desk every day, what I do is I have my uh, my time schedule from, I'm looking at it now, from 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh -huh. um, and it's broken down into half-hour increments. Uh, and so I say precisely at the beginning of the day what I'm going to do in each half hour increment. And so it helps to keep me on task. Wow, that's good to know because uh, time management is a big thing. And many people would uh, really appreciate having that skill. Yeah. Yeah. And th I think the thing is you can't leave it up to chance. That's the thing because I hope sometimes that I could just wake up and and know what I need to do and right. get it done. But I, I tell you, at, at age 30 now, I have a pretty significant sample size. And uh, leaving it up to chance simply doesn't work ever. Right. <laughs> I yeah, never I get what I need to do done. <laughs> right. So Especially like, when hey. you have to take care of the kids and everything else. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So the way I look at it, I like to micromanage myself. Mm -hmm. I use the calendar. I use this uh, this timesheet and I say exactly what I'm going to do. I think of it like a tailor fit suit. So if I put on your suit, it wouldn't fit. If mm -hmm. you put on my suit, it wouldn't fit. Right. But because it's tailor made, my schedule is tailor made, even though it is very restrictive, I'm, I'm still able to move fluidly through it because it's made specifically for me and for my goals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, so it's the top ranked negotiation podcast in the world. And uh, the thing is, when I started it, um, you, you know, when you start a podcast, you have to come to terms with the fact that uh, nobody's listening to you right. at all. <laughs> and um, I got a little bit lucky because when it came to negotiations, there were no active podcasts in negotiation at the time when I started. Mm -hmm. None. There were just, it was like a graveyard of a former podcast. Wow. So whenever people would search negotiation, I was their only option. Mm -hmm. And so as I started to become more consistent, I got more subscribers. And um, it was really fascinating to see that at the time, especially at the beginning, the um, the growth was completely organic right. uh, just from the switches. But now I'm a bit more strategic because I'm more intentional about getting on other shows as a guest. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I go on a, a business show that's somewhat related um, to the topic, I know that if I do a good job, a few of their listeners are going to come back with me. Right. So that's those are the two things that I, I use to build the platform. Yeah, that's good. And you've done an amazing job with that show. It's, uh, Thank I really, you. Yeah, you've done a great job. So uh, going back to law school and uh, psychology, what was the experience like applying to law school with a degree in psychology? It was, I think it worked for me because law schools are looking for diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when you think about diversity, you think racial diversity, gender diversity, that type of stuff, right. but also diversity of thought. I know the majority of people who apply to law school might have a business background or a political science background or something like that. But um, when I was applying and I was writing my letters, 
I focused on the the new angles that I could bring to the classroom discussions. And um, I also spent time trying to get to know the people who would, would be making the decisions, the admissions decisions, too. So I right. wanted to take chance out of it. Uh, by creating those relationships so they can say, oh, I know Kwame. Kwame does X, Y, Z. I met Kwame. Right. So it's just a cold application. That was smart. Very strategic. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're seeing a pattern now. Right. I know. <laughs> Very strategic. So I'm a big fan of, of psychology. I listen to the show Hidden Brain a lot. Oh, I love that show. Right. Yeah, this book is great, too. It is. And there is uh, this book. The title is Undoing Project. Yeah, I know the book that you're talking about. It's the it's the guy who um, partners with uh, Daniel Kahneman, right? Right, exactly. So the book is amazing. It, it made me kind of really think deep about psychology and say, hey, it's more like a law degree. I think uh, if you can read books or get a degree in psychology, you could you should do it. Absolutely, and I think one of the things when it comes to books that people don't recognize is that. Your the majority of people, in my opinion, start to plateau once they're out of school. Mm-hmm. So you you finish your education, you get your job, and then you just have the incremental growth that comes from the fact that you're continuing to exist on this planet right. as, a, as a human being. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're intentional about continuing your education, it gives you a significantly um, better uh, chance of being successful and, and increasing your intelligence exponentially. Right. Because the, the average American reads one book per year. And so my goal is to read one book per week. That's yeah. it. And if you think about how much time it takes to read a book, for instance, a, a, an average audiobook could be eight hours. Because mm-hmm. uh, I always do audiobooks now. Yeah, that's amazing. I do that too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a game changer because I'm in the car and we're, we're always in transit to our, our jobs. Right. Why don't we take the time to learn? Mm-hmm. And so if you it's if it's an 8-hour book you can think of that as a full course right a full yes. course in whatever it happens to be mm-hmm. and so if you're doing one book per week that's 52 courses it's like I'm getting a new degree every year or year and a half that's so a true. full like a full degree and so if you think about how impressed we are when somebody says oh I have a degree in biology I have mm-hmm. a degree in psychology whatever if you're still after you get your full degree you're still collecting degrees for the rest of your life, you're going to be significantly further ahead than other people when it comes to your level of intelligence. So when I see that, I'm like, why wouldn't I do that? I know. (laughs) It's funny because uh, I always get my books from Audible. Sometimes I'm like, this book is expensive, but it's a good book, right? Mm -hmm. You'll be learning a lot of things about people, about science or about psychology. I don't know which author said this. When you're listening for personal development, when you're listening to books, it will be at the end like a master's degree itself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 such a huge opportunity. For me, I was thinking about it for a while too, because I use Audible as well. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to myself, oh man, yeah, this is racking up. These costs are racking up. And so one author, I think it was Grant Cardone who said, um, most people with a scarcity mindset, they would look at the price and say, oh, no, I shouldn't do this. Uh, I'm 13 bucks for a book. I can right. save my money to something else. Uh, but the people who are really successful will buy that book. And then as they're reading it, they are looking for that million dollar idea That's for true. the book. 
So you have to think about it like an investment. What's the return on investment? And I think about this book that I'm reading. Um, I, I'm, I just purchased the, the hard copy, right. which is rare because it has um, sales scripts in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I read the actual, I did the audio book last year. It's called The Ultimate Sales Machine. Mm-hmm. And so what's very interesting is as I'm reading the book at that time last year, my business wasn't ready for its techniques. I didn't have the focus that I needed to have in order for it to work. Right. And so it was just laying under the surface in my mind, just percolating, just percolating. And then now, finally, it's it's at that point where, ha, yes, I'm ready for it. The principles, they, they apply right now. Right. And so if I'm able to successfully get one, just a single client using one of the techniques from this book, uh, that could be anywhere from five thousand to ten thousand dollars. I know, I know. Um, that's that's yeah. a good example, <laughs> right? For a fifteen dollar book, right? So right. What, what what what's the question? There it is. It's the the return on investment is significant. Yeah, that's so true. So, do you encourage negotiators to uh, to do a little bit of psychology? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because for me, it lays out the path. Because if you're just learning um, techniques, and you could learn techniques and tactics, right? Um, you're kind of just using them. Uh, you could be using them at the wrong time with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody is the same. Uh, when I when I do the classes, I tell people all the time. I say this is not about giving you techniques that will work all the time. Mm-hmm. It's about increasing your your shooting percentage. So, for instance, if uh, LeBron James is taking a shot, he knows he's not going to make every shot. Right. But he knows that if he practices, it increases the likelihood of a shot going in. That's true. And so the better you are at psychology, the more you understand it, the more customized you can make your persuasive strategies for the people. Mm -hmm. So think about you and Laura. You're different. And so the way somebody persuades you is going to be different from the way somebody persuades Laura. Yes. And if they are good at reading you and understanding your personal psychology they can create personalized strategies for each of you that's true and, and it works perfect in negotiations because you want to be able to kind of read the other person's body language right mm-hmm. you, know, you don't want to just focus on the script or the tactics because you know they also train to know those tactics as well so when you only use the tactics it might not actually lead to better results exactly so uh when you look back what advice would you give to your young self oh man that's tough um i would say almost everything that i did i would do it a little bit earlier from a business and education perspective Mm -hmm. so for instance um it's kind of like the advice i gave to you with the podcast i said just start you have to start as soon as possible so you can start learning um i started this journey of reading as much as i did um about three years ago Mm-hmm. And so I remember at the the first year I was really intentional about reading a lot. I felt like I read a ton of books, right? A ton of books, and it was um I think it was twenty books I read. And then one of the last books that I read of the year, it said the average CEO reads <laughs> reads sixty books a year. I'm like, I what? know. I was like, how is that possible? Right. Okay, challenge accepted. Okay, and then um, after that it. It went up to, um, I think it was 58 mm-hmm. books. Um, and then this year it was close to about the same amount this past year. Right. So, um, so yeah, no, no, I was short this year. I was short this year. Uh, I didn't make 52. 
I think it was like high 40s or something like that. And I was really disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I remembered, I said, hey, Kwame, hey, you remember you took two months to write your own book? So that's got to <laughs> that's got to. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's if I, I just think about how I feel after I'm done reading a book, because after I'm done reading a book, I look at Kwame of last week. I'm like, man, that guy was stupid. He didn't know all this. Mm-hmm. I'm so much smarter than him. I know. You know? And so, <laughs> but I feel that way after I read a book every single time. Right. And so I think about that. Like, if I would have been um, creating that feeling immediately after law school, then I would be, I would be, uh, oh my gosh, probably well over a thousand books. Wow. At this point, that's like two PhDs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think that would have been the biggest thing. I needed to read more books at an early age. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Do you think that being the son of a, an immigrant also contributed in uh, what you've accomplished today? Yeah, because I think that um, there's a, you, they always talk about the immigrant work ethic, mm-hmm. right? Um, the people who made it here from different countries, they came over because they are industrious, they're high-flying, they're trying to accomplish great things. Right. And so when those are your parents, they, they have higher expectations for you. And when you have high expectations, you need to, <laughs> you need to work hard to meet those expectations. Right. So, for instance, my wife, she, she's, a Afri- she's African-American. And so she was the first person from her family to graduate college. Wow. And so that was a big deal for her. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I graduated um, from OSU with a psychology degree, a minor in Spanish and a minor in foundations of law, I, I, I didn't even care to go to my graduation. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was my parents who invited family and uh, celebrated. Um, but I, I really did. I said, well, I, you have a Ph.D. Dad's a surgeon. Um, I didn't come here for this. Right. <laughs> I'm not done yet. What are we celebrating? Oh, slow down. And so it was a it was kind of expected. It was a it was a foregone conclusion that I would hit certain levels and I, I attribute that to the uh to the fact that my my parents are are foreign. That's funny. And then uh did they expect you to go back for a PhD? No, the uh the <laughs> term that they kept on using was a terminal degree. So whatever direction you go, there needs to be nothing more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, um with, with law, there's um the the law degree is it. So right. I'm, so I'm safe now, uh-huh. thankfully. That's yeah. funny. That's funny. So one question we like to ask our guests is uh, how do you define success and do you consider yourself successful today? Oh, that's a great question. So my definition of success would be simply happiness. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that makes you happy, if you're there, then you're successful. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be different things for different people. And um, as I, I would attribute this to reading again because I, and I think this is in part because of that immigrant work ethic. I had very narrow parameters for how I described success right. earlier, um, and they were really rigid. But now I realize that the degrees are really optional. Because think about why we do these things. We achieve this education so we can get a good job. We want to get a good job so we can make good money. We want to make good money so we can have um, have security for ourselves and for our families if we choose to have it. Right. And if we have those things, then we would feel happy. But if you were to graduate high school and then feel happy, then you could skip all of that stuff and you are, you're already successful. We right. get these things 
in order to feel happy. Happy is the end goal. And I think sometimes when people make the mistake of having these rigid parameters for what is successful, they go after the things and not the happiness. So you can see people who have a lot of money, a lot of degrees, and uh, what people from the outside looking in would consider to be success, but they're not successful. In fact, they are less successful than most because they're miserable. Right, right. That's so true. That's so true. Hey, Kwame, uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Is there any you know, last thing you would like to add? Yeah, no, man, this the time flew. I'm thinking to myself, it's over already. Yeah, uh, I know. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I appreciate the invitation. And um, if anybody on the show is interested in learning more about um, negotiation and conflict resolution principles that can make difficult conversations easier, mm-hmm. uh, make sure to check out the podcast and connect with me on LinkedIn. I like learning who's out there and who's listening and um, if this resonated with you please connect with me thank you Kwame I really appreciate it and thank you very much for joining us today I hope you enjoyed the conversation if you haven't yet done so please subscribe and share with others so they can find us thank you